HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. Transform the way you hunt with the all-new base cellular trail camera connected by the Moultrie Mobile app. Moultrie Mobile's industry-best app gives you complete control over your camera settings, up-to-the-minute updates from the field, and other interactive scouting tools on your smartphone or computer. Features like weather forecast, advanced species recognition, interactive maps, and a whole lot more. For more information and to make your purchase, visit www.moultriemobile.com. The Houseman XP Podcast Network is taking you on the journey. Your host, Master Trainer Heath Hyatt, will combine his decades of experience as a houndsman and as a professional trainer that will light the path forward and make our packs lighter on this lifelong journey to become better hunters and houndsmen. There are no shortcuts, so lace up those boots and grab a dog leash. The journey begins now. Hey guys, The Journey on Houndsman XP is teamed up with Go Wild. Go Wild is a social media platform that was made for hunters by hunters. If you guys and gals have listened to any of the other podcasts that I've been on, you know what a huge outdoor enthusiast I am. I love being in the woods with my hounds. There's nothing more exciting than hearing the thunder of a spring gobbler. I love fishing for trout in the brooks and the streams, and I love being on the river chasing that ever-elusive fish of a thousand casts, the muskie. Go Wild is the place that I can post my trophies, hunts, and memories without being censored. But Go Wild is so much more than that. It's a place to share your stories, sharpen your skills, hone your tactics, get gear reviews, and shop for anything outdoors. When you make a purchase from the Go Wild store, everything is free shipping. Anything that you purchase anywhere in the country, no matter how big, free shipping. So go down to the show notes, click on the Go Wild link at the bottom, and get signed up today. And let's go wild. If y'all purchase anything from Go Wild... Make sure that you're using the Houndsman XP promo code. And that code is going to be HXP10. So when you go in there and you download your cart, when you come up to the bottom and it says promo code, add Houndsman XP to it. Thanks, Heath. Before we jump into this awesome podcast with Jeff Shetler, this is the second time he's been on the podcast. And, you know, Jeff Shetler tracks armed people, tracks bad people. So it's very important that he knows what's going on with the dogs and the scenting conditions and different things. There's a lot we can learn from a guy like Jeff Shetler when we're trying to read our hounds and figure out what's going on with tracks and what the scent is actually doing. So stay tuned for that. I want to make sure that we get a couple shout outs here. We had a great week in Las Vegas last week. Spent some time with Brad Luttrell and the Go Wild crew and uh, had a great time. So a couple things going on over at Go Wild. One thing they've got is the Mountain Ops Challenge. They've partnered up with Mountain Ops and they're going to get us in shape in time for, they're saying turkey season, I'm saying spring bear season because we need need to be in shape for that, right? So go on over to Go Wild and check out their uh, program that they got going on right now, the partnership. There's a free 30-day access to Mountain Tough. If you are serious about extreme performance, you got to be in shape. You can't be in the game if you can't be there. Check that out. They're also giving away a tricked-out UTV. It's a Polaris. I think it's a 1000. It's got all the bells and whistles you would ever want on this thing. And all you have to do is refer your friends 
That's it. Refer your friends to Go Wild. And every referral that signs up for Go Wild, you get an entry into that drawing. So make sure that you go over there and check that out. The last thing is, is Go Wild is going to be at the Great American Outdoor Show in Pennsylvania. And all you got to do is stop by the booth and be wearing a Go Wild hat. And they're going to give you a cool prize. Heath and I are going to be there as well. Different times. I think he's going the first weekend, the fourth and the fifth. I'm going to be there the 7th and the 8th, so double dip this thing. If you go by that booth, wear your good wild hat the first time you come by, and uh, if you're wearing a Houndsman XP t-shirt, we're going to hook you up with a decal and, and some other stuff too. So check it all out, folks. Just go to timetogowild.com, get all the information. You can also find all of the links to our sponsors, including Go Wild on our website at houndsmanxp.com. And when you shop at Go Wild, like Heath said, use that promo code HXP10 and get 10% off of gear every day. I know there's new gear that's landing on that shop app right now. So I'm not gonna drop it yet. I'm not sure where they're at, I'm ready to announce that, but it's specifically for us, the Houndsman. One other quick tidbit that I need to drop on you is Bryce Matthews was on the journey last week and Hounds, Houndsman XP is teaming up with the Hoosier Tree Dog Alliance to help them promote that organization. Something that has been very near and dear to my heart. I was one of the original founders of that organization along with my buddy Jerry Mall, and uh, they're revitalizing. Bryce and crew is putting a lot of energy into that thing. They've got a new website up where you can join and support that organization online. Go to HoosierTreeDogAlliance.com, get all the information right there. Also, check us out on Patreon. We are listener-supported, and we love giving back to you. I had breakfast. Heath and I both had breakfast with the uh, guys from Sportsman's Alliance last week in Vegas. It was a great meeting. They're doing great things, and together we are going to preserve, protect, and promote the houndsman lifestyle. So if you like freedom you like free stuff from sportsman's alliance if you uh, like having discount codes that are exclusive to our patreon members if you like having those extra wild and crazy stories from seth i'm telling you you gotta check out his videos every time that guy runs a jackrabbit or turns a long dog loose it's like he is doing it for the first time you can't fake that kind of energy he's put dropping videos over there tailgate talks all of that stuff but this last week was some video with him catching some coyotes. You need to check it out, man. All right. Hey, thanks, Heath. Thanks for letting me jump in here. Take it away. On today's episode of The Journey, I get to catch back up with one of the guys that I've told you before who has been a mentor for me, uh, for our group, for several guys in our group. Um, just a wealth of knowledge and I was so honored um, that he was able to come up and spend a couple days with with us and our group hunting and I mean I just I can't wait to to recap some of this stuff and just talk about uh, the hounds and the hunting and how that dives into the police side of things and I think it'll help all of us that's running dogs whether whatever it may be chasing men or chasing game um, but I'm back here with Jeff Shetler and Jeff I really appreciate you taking time out of your day I know that you were right in the middle of an eight-week course and uh, I really really appreciate it so how are things down in Odesto uh, actually really great we're just wishing we were back up in the mountains <laughs> in Virginia with you guys yeah <laughs> well a little difference in terrain huh mm-hmm well, I, we learned that really quick. And here in the low country, you know, if we talk about a hill or a mountain, it's it's maybe ten feet. And then uh, when we get up into your country, it's a little bit different. So that that took some getting back used to. I mean, it, it's you know, being here in in uh, Edisto and South Carolina for so long. I mean, I've taken small trips to to different locations and had some hills and small mountains, but you know, we hadn't done anything as severe as what I did with your guys 
you know, during the bear season just a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, you know, that was that was extreme for me. You know, I know it, it, it harkens back to my time in California and our mountains there. And, and I just realized how out of shape I got over time for that type of terrain. You know, there's there's you know, I'm in shape for my conditions, but I'm not in shape for yours. That, that was for sure. <laughs> well, the thing you kind of scared me. You, um, well, the questions you asked me before you, you know, on your way up, you're like, you know, do I need to pack a tent? Do I need to, you know, how big a packs do we need? You know, how many days are we going to be out at a time? And I'm like, yeah. wait a second. What's he talking? Like, are we going to like be out in the out in the woods for days? I'm like, no. Like, we coming home at dark. Like one way or the other, we are going to be back well, see, at dark. See, that was my experience back in California because, you know, when we did it, you know, we didn't have a lot of the equipment that, that you're using today. Mm-hmm. You know, the modern GPS equipment, we had the radio collars and the big antennas that you held up. And half the time they didn't work worth work the damn. Mm-hmm. And you had to use your intuition on where the dogs are going. And, you know, we could be out there for two days straight. You know, it's just running around chasing those dogs because they would go for miles and miles and miles. Yeah. I, and like I said, when you said that, I'm like, gosh, this dude, he's going to think I'm a wimp. Like he's, he's not going to, he's not going to be uh, enthused with what we're doing. We're just, we're kind of taking oh, the easy way out. No, that's not the case. You guys were, it was, you know, it was a, a great lesson for me. And the system that you guys used for your hunting was different than what we did for sure. Uh, back in the day, but, um, still really really exciting and uh the teamwork that, that went involved with it was absolutely crucial it's not just the dogs but the hunters play a really key role and the communication between you know the different guys that are out there without that communication without the right location without the good dogs i mean you just take one of those cogs out of the wheel and you know you're gonna have a meltdown on your hunt so mm-hmm. i was pretty impressed by how you guys you know just put everything together and i mean how many how many Bears do we tree in three days? Four, five, uh, four, right? One, two, three, four. Yeah, four. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, four in three days. That's significant. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I, I want to say a lot of luck goes with that. I mean, the the food was plentiful this fall, and um, you hit the first week, and you know, it, it was in the weather. I mean, the weather. Well, like I said, we want to we want to talk about that too. But the weather helped us um, for the most part, but. Yeah, I mean, we we were lucky, and we got lucky, and you know, we do. Ha- I mean, I, it's it's it doesn't matter what you're doing. You surround yourself with good people, and good things happen. And you know, I have a I'm blessed to be a part of a group that is selfless. Um, everybody, nobody cares who's doing what. We're all there to help each other and do what do do what needs to be done. Um, we have a good time doing it, and I think I hope you've seen that. Um, oh yeah, it's a little stressful been, sometimes, but yeah, I've never had an experience quite like that because you know, like I said, you know, we would, you know, when we hunted, and I didn't have a lot of experience outside, you know, the the Sierras, the Sierra Mountains in in California, and with a few hunters, we would go out with, you know, maybe one pack of dogs and two hunters. That was that was how we did it. Mm-hmm. And so to to work with the, the system that you had with multiple packs and multiple hunters was uh, was really cool. I mean, it, it took a, obviously a lot of integration and a lot of talking and a lot of planning and communication. I was so impressed with how that worked. Mm-hmm. Um, and, on, and you guys have to have knowledge of the terrain. I mean, that's half the battle. And I think, honestly, Heath, that's where you come in because you know that place like the back of your hand. I mean, you could explain stuff to guys what they, they needed to look for by radio and, you know, just from memory or they could describe where, where they were at and you knew exactly where they were without even having to look at the GPS. That's what, that was amazing. Yeah. And that, that's from spending the last, you know, 28 years of my life. And I, you know, I don't hunt the same place all the time, but yeah. you know, but that's from spending years and years and years in there by myself wandering around and, lessons learned i mean you go you go across one ridge and you should have went around and hit the hollow and went up another side and it's stuff like that that has helped me through the years and i and i try to emphasize to some of our younger guys that you know the the older guys in our group they've got a lot of knowledge because they've been doing it and 
you're getting you're getting like you're getting a short 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 abbreviated version because you know they're pointing you in the right direction and they're telling you hey you need to go check over here and you need to come down this way and check this rock outcrop and that way you're not walking yeah. the whole valley and wasting mm-hmm. your day um so yeah. yeah it's 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 invaluable um for the mm-hmm. the knowledge that that our group has and <clears throat> and like i said it it's kind of my backyard i've i've I grew up um in that area and another we didn't in fact where you stayed uh your where your cabin was you know that that's like i said we didn't even hunt there and like i said that's the same thing i mean we you know hunted it for years and years and years and so <clears throat> do something a little different yeah yeah we like to move around um and and like i said a lot of times um Food plays a big part in that. Where the food's at, what mountain range you need to go on, whether you need to hunt high or whether you need to hunt low. And, um, yeah. You know, we do a lot of scouting. You know, we, we run August and September, and that's kind of when our that's when we gather our information. Like, okay, how many bears in this area? What kind of bear are we seeing? Are we seeing more sows and cubs? Are we seeing, you know, some mature boars? Or, like, so we do a lot of that in – in our, in our training season, that's, you know, we're taking notes mm-hmm. and seeing what's going on. So that, that helps. Well, and it, yeah, yeah. And it, it, that preparation is so important. I mean, it goes into any type of hunting, you know, deer hunting, whatever you're doing, if you don't go out there and scout a little bit, you know, you're, you're going to pay the price for that once you get out there in your hunting time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, we, we were glad to have you up and let's, uh, just real quick before we get into the, to the meat and potatoes of what we want to talk about. Uh, let's just recap the three day. You were up Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Like you said, we we did right. end up treeing, catching or treeing. The last day was a, a kind of a rodeo. Um, oh my God! Yeah, most <laughs> exciting day. <laughs> they they are, but it's so nerve wracking um, when you have you know dogs in, in there with with a you know a little bit more honorary honorary critter. <clears throat> so Monday or Thursday, what what you know. Just tell tell me your experience. Tell me your perspective. You know what happened and kind of what you were. What you? I mean, you're a dog man, Jeff. You know dogs, regardless of what they are. What What was you thinking? What was going through your mind? And before we got out on the hunt, or during the hunt? No, yeah, all of it. What was your? Well, I know we just kind of hit your expectation. Or, you know, kind of what your your perception was um, through the California. But yeah, like we started the hunt you know, just kind of briefly walk through it. Um, and yeah, just tell me what you were thinking, like what was going through your mind when we were walking. And then when we did tree a bear, um, just, yeah, just, just tell me what, you know, your thought process. Well, getting there, you know, when we arrived, the the conditions were so significantly different than where we came from, you know, in South Carolina. I mean, we just, Mm -hmm. you know, we came from, 75 degree weather <laughs> you know you could walk in shorts and flip-flops if you wanted to and so i mean the the weather change even though it wasn't harsh for you guys it was a big change for us you know my wife and my daughter you know they've been deer hunting and their experience with that um really looking forward to, to the bear hunt um but i think that when they got into the mountains and they got to see the extent of the wilderness that was in front of them. Uh, I think it was a little odd firing for, for both of them. I, I don't think they knew what they were going to get into. You know, I had an idea of the mountains because I've, I've worked, you know, the man hunting dogs in there, there mm-hmm. before, but I, I don't think they did, you know, coming from, um, you know, where they used to live in the Philippines. And, and then of course, where, where we live here, it was a huge change. Um, so I think that it was awe-inspiring and I think a little intimidating, you know, right off the bat because of the, the wilderness aspect of it. I mean, when you're here in the low country, yeah, of course you have the wilderness, you have the swamps, but it, it, it doesn't hit you quite like the mountains there in Virginia do. So I think that was the first thing. Um, you know, the, I, I had no idea of what to expect. My only hunting uh, with bear dogs was in California. And the way we did it, as I said before, was, you know, significantly different. We didn't use as many dogs. We didn't have many, many people. 
our equipment was horrible, uh, and we'd spend a long time out there. And, and basically, the way we started was quite a bit different too. You know, we'd we'd put the dog on the hood of the truck, slowly cruise the back roads until they got a strike, and then we'd put them out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know you guys do that sometimes too, but I think this is where your your you know the teamwork really came in to play, and that's what I wasn't really ready for. I thought it was really great because I mean you had this you know, the, the mountainside already patterned out. You kind of had an idea where everybody was going to go. You had an idea how to put the dogs in. And I think that game plan is what made the three days. And more importantly, I mean, we treated the first bear on the first run. What was it within an hour of getting out of the truck? Yeah, probably an hour, Mm -hmm. maybe even less than that. I mean, we all started hitting our draws and heading downhill. And the next thing you know, dogs are going at it and, mm-hmm. and we're on it. So, um, that was exciting. I mean, really, really for me. And I, and I think that, um, it was an eye opener, uh, and how the teamwork aspect of this could really play out. And, uh, so what was impressive was, was how everybody communicated, how they got along and more importantly, how everybody kind of knew where everybody else was. So, you know, all the time that you guys spent out there in, in uh, you know, the period before the hunt, I think really played out quite nicely. And then of course the quality of the dogs too. Um, you know, they, they stayed on the bear really, really well and treat them really quickly. Of course, the, the last day, that was a little different story, mm-hmm. but that was a, a bear that didn't really want to treat. So, um, coming in, I had, I didn't know what to expect, but my mind was wide open um, and to do things differently than how I had experienced in the past was really quite a treat for me. Um, frankly, I kind of like your methodology better than what we used to use. <laughs> yeah, I could, I <laughs> can <know>? imagine. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, there's, I don't think there's any way I could do now what I did in the Sierras, you know, based on my experience just with you guys a few weeks, a couple weeks ago. Yeah. You know, there's, there's no, there's no way I could handle those mountains the way I did back then. It just, just wasn't going to happen. So the way you guys did it is a much better way. That's for sure. <clears throat> yeah. And you talk about the old telemetry. I mean, when I started, you know, way back in the, you know, in the mid nineties, early mid nineties, that's what we used. And I, yeah. I mean, we left dogs out a lot, <laughs> a lot. Yeah. Um, and had yeah. to go back the next day and, and round them up and, with the Garmin, the new GPS systems, that's that's not necessarily that's not a that's not something that happens often, unless you have a collar that malfunctions, which um, we do have the GPS the cable that goes to the GPS signal um, is at the base of the antenna, and sometimes it'll work loose or it'll get frayed, and then we'll we'll yeah. lose signal. So unless it's something like that, I mean we don't have to leave dogs out like what you was accustomed to and what we used to do years ago. Right. Yeah. And I, I, that was the other thing is that the dogs, you know, all seemed to be very responsive and they stayed together. They didn't seem to split off as much as, as I experienced in the past either. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was an amazing, amazing experience. And I just honestly wish we would have had a few more days up there. It was hard to leave. Yeah. I mean, you know, well, you know the invitation's open, so. And then the second, yeah. the sec- we treed two bear that morning, um, mm-hmm. and then the second, the Friday, we were about done for the day. Um, we had you and yeah. I had rode around quite a bit, and uh-huh. we nothing, no, nothing was going. And then all of a sudden, Greg, Greg jumps one up, and a little mm-hmm. confusion and cluster happened right there. And you know, the next thing we know, we're we're 200, 200 feet from a bear tree. Well, the nice thing is it's right next to the side of the road. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was, that was far less hike than what we had the day before. So yeah, that, that helped quite a bit, you know, and I think that that was a lot of fun too, but it really, you know, it, it emphasized the, the need to know your equipment, you know, and mm-hmm. I think that's one of the, my, my daughter had your 30, 30, Mm-hmm. And she wasn't really familiar with the lever action very much. And I should have taken the time to, to sit down and have her, you know, really shoot it and learn it. 
before we got there because I, I think that, um, you know, when we got under the tree, she has a rifle in her hand without a lot of knowledge about it. It made it a little bit difficult. And um, it just really emphasizes the fact that when you do any hunt, everybody has to know their equipment before they go out. Yeah. Know? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you have, you know, your rifles, your, your pistols, your GPSs, everything that you have, you need to know it inside and out because when the time comes to utilize it, you know, you have that moment and then that's it. Yeah. You know, then it's gone. Yeah. And that, that's kind of my yeah. fault too, because I just assumed because y'all had been deer hunting that she was familiar with the rifle and I can, I forget because the lever action is such a staple in for everybody. I yeah, yeah. I mean, for Americans and, you know, in, uh-huh. especially for um, hound hunting. I mean, just about yeah. everybody that hound hunts has an old lever and it could be a 4570 or a, a 44 or a 35 mm-hmm. or a 3030. And in my mind, she's deer hunting. She knows weapons. She's good. So I didn't give it a second thought until that day after we, you know, after everything happened and you're like, we need to shoot this. We need to, and I'm like, I didn't give it a, I didn't give it a thought either because, you know, I just, I was thinking kind of the same as you and, and I didn't even really think I just went out and, and, you know, I see the 3030. That was the the first rifle I ever had Mm -hmm. was, you know, was a a Marlin 3030. And, um, but Yana, I I brought her up on a, a bolt action rifle. Mm-hmm. So she'd never, she'd never shot one before. And mm-hmm. I didn't even think about that. I just, you know, <laughs> I would go out there running around with a rifle and, and I wasn't, uh, you know, I, I, I had, I, I didn't, I didn't think about it. So we learned a big lesson and, um, the good news is, is that she's pretty accurate with it. Once we did fire it, she was, and, and she'll, she'll be ready next time. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, so we didn't, we, we ended up taking that bear, but she didn't get a shot because it basically come down to the base of the tree and we ended up killing it right on right, right at the base of the tree i think it almost landed on wesley's head didn't it yes it was awful close <laughs> awful close yeah. i don't think we had a choice at that moment really. yeah um so that was that was the friday and then saturday you said that was the most exciting so tell me your y'all y'all i mean you know tell me what all of y'all thought was going on. And I, like I said, I know I was yelling, get in the truck, let's go, let's move. Like it was yeah. like a constant battle, like a chess match almost. Well, the first part was, there's a couple of things that really struck me right off the bat is that it was, you just listen to the dogs and you could tell that this bear was not treeing, you know, and it wasn't going to happen. And the other thing that really struck me was that every time we're listening to the to the dogs and every location that we got to trying to get in front of them, you could tell by the sound, you know, what the, the uh, terrain features were that they were in, you know, and then of course, by looking at the GPS and you knew exactly the rocks that they were in, the, the mm-hmm. tree types that they were at. And, and I, I, you know, what was really cool was the simple fact that, you could almost narrate what the hunt was doing, what the dogs were doing, what the bear were doing, just by simply looking at your map and watching the progress on the map. I mean, you knew exactly what was going on. And um, I think this went on for, we were on that bear for what, almost three hours, wasn't mm, it? it? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Three they half. Yeah, they got into it. It run a bunch of dogs off. It backed itself up underneath the, the those cliffs and... It come yeah. out of there and then it went back to the to the base of that cliff and back to I mean yeah so it was yeah right it was probably a good two or two to three hours yeah and the the dogs stayed on top of it the whole time and I guess we lost a couple because they you know the, the they had a little interaction with the bear and, and didn't feel so great about it afterwards and I guess you can't blame them when they get laid open either no but what was this is what struck me the most Heath and this is what um really really drives home the sense of smell that bear have probably over just about any any other land mammal and every time we tried to get in front of that bear Mm -hmm. every single time he detected us from a distance and turned Turned. on Mm -hmm. every time and and that's all scent based Mm -hmm. you know that's not sound 
That's not ESP. That's that's the wind. He, he smelled us from a distance. And what was remarkable was some of those distances were four, five, six hundred meters away through thick, thick timber mm-hmm. with terrain features in between. And he was, you know, he's headed straight our way. We're ready to cut him off. I mean, we're right there. And then all of a sudden, several hundred yards away, he peels off and literally almost does a 180 degree run in a new direction. Mm-hmm. That that happened to us six, yes. six or seven times. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. And and that's not coincidence. That, that's all sent. And, um, you know, dogs have some amazing capabilities with odor, as do deer and, you know, uh, and other animals. But I think they're kind of pale in comparison to the bear. Mm-hmm. I really do. I, I would especially that. watching that hunt, mm-hmm. especially watching that hunt. Yeah. Uh, that was some of the best air scenting I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, the bear is on a full tilt run, right? He's got a pack of dogs behind him. And a couple times there's at least 10 dogs on him a couple times. And from these distances, he was able to detect the blocking force and then change directions. Yep. And you just think about that. Yeah. I know. I mean, that's it. it, And and then that goes into your, you know, as a hunter, you have to know that. And like after the first couple of times, we realized what was happening and, Mm -hmm. you know, we tried to change our tactics and he was picking up both sets of people trying to pinch him. And then that he, they actually pinched him up, up where it was more of an advantage for us because we was able to get in front of him several times. Well, it's because he got into that thick swamp land where he was having even some trouble maneuvering. Right. You know, that, that actually gave us a little bit of time on our hands, so we were able to get some bodies on the ground and moving. Yeah. And I think if he would have stayed in more of that open timber, you know, that, that wouldn't have happened. It no. was just so thick, he was even slower. Yeah, and you're right. If he, was, if he would have stayed on, on that one ridge that he was on, I don't know that we'd have got close enough to him to ever get a shot. Like he, he, yeah. he would have, he would have got us on that. Yeah. That was, <clears throat> that was probably one of the most exciting hunts I've been on. I mean, it was just, just really, really amazing. And the girls had a fantastic time with Good. it too. I mean, just the, I think it was three hours of nonstop heart thumping, <laughs> Drill. you know, Drilling. adrenaline. Yeah. I mean, think about how often do you have an adrenaline rush that lasts for three hours? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I am glad they like, I'm glad they enjoyed it, and and you went home and you hooked her up. You hooked Fury up with a with a handgun, didn't you? Well, the thing is, is who was the 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 gentleman that wanted to just just carry the camera during the training season, and then took a bite? Um, got bit by one of the bear, and then he started. He oh, that was um, Wesley's dad, Dow. The journey on Houndsman XP has teamed up with One TDC. This dual action support for oral health and mobility in our dogs. This unique supplement is so effective that it is recommended by top veterinarian experts worldwide to maintain and improve our dog's health in four different areas. Their oral health, hips, joints, and muscles, skin, coat, energy, and recovery. Guys, I've been using this product for the last six months, and it has been a game changer for me. If you're looking for something to help with the overall health of your dog, go to WorkSoWell.com and give this product a try. It is highly recommended by Houndsman XP here on The Journey. Yeah, it was right. Yeah. And so as soon as Flary heard that story, she goes, you know what? I think I want a pistol. <laughs> <laughs> So she yeah. got a 357 for Christmas. Yeah, nice. Nice. Yeah. And I seen you you've been posting y'all are, y'all been out on the range and practicing too. Well, it's our front yard. <coughs> yeah. Yeah, it was it, it, it I think it's going to be perfect when she goes out the next time. I, mean, I think she didn't know what to expect. I mean, I, you know, when you're hunting deer, there's not a lot of danger in that. And so I don't think she really had any concept that the tables can get turned on the hunter when you're hunting bear. And, and, uh, even though I've talked about it and we've discussed it, I don't think it really hit home until that last hunt on that last day. 
mm-hmm. when we we dealt with this overly savvy bear that was cold calculating and took out three dogs on the hunt, right? Three mm-hmm. dogs got kicked off by that. Mm-hmm. And yours got hurt the worst, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How's he doing, by the way, anyway? Oh, he's back at it. Yeah. I, I wished his courage would drop just to, I, I want him to stay, but I don't need him getting beat up. <laughs> like, I just, yeah. just I, I want you to stay. You got to have some stick, but I'd like to keep those teeth out of you. Yeah, he just wants to get into the fight. <clears throat> yeah. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's just all over it. Yeah. Yeah. So, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, that was exciting. And like I said, I'm, I'm glad that you guys enjoyed that. And, um, hopefully next year we can we can even top that and have a better hunt and a better time and um oh yeah we're, we will i I'd actually we took got one of the bear claws i got from wesley and i'm making i'm having a custom necklace, necklace. made for my daughter so perfect yeah perfect from a silversmith we're gonna be we'll show you that when we come up next time oh nice so let's talk with your knowledge now um what are some things that you've seen during those three days with the hounds that relate to um, tracking and your experience in tracking? Um, and one of the things, and I'll ask you about the humidity after that. I want to, I want to talk about humidity, but what, what are some things mm-hmm. that you've seen um, that, that we can add as a, a learning tool or a lesson or something that we can use that will benefit us? You know, on the way the dogs are working? Yeah. I mean, um, like maybe, you know, like the first day it was a little wet out. Um, it had rained the day before, I think. Um, and it, it was it was crisp. I don't remember the temperature. I would say it was in the high 30s. Mid 40s. Mid 40s. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> um, and, and the first track, there was no track. Um, spook just no. pulled up treed. <laughs> yeah. Um, right off the bat, happened mm-hmm. to get lucky and off a bear. Yeah. Um, he jumped mm-hmm. it right out of its bed and just fell treed, which is very, um, it's, it's not uncommon, but it's doesn't happen a lot. I mean, it'll happen here and there, but that's not something you see a lot of in, in bear hunting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I, I think, you know, from my perspective, if, if anything, when I'm watching, you know, your dogs work free. I think the the biggest thing it drives home to me is what a sea anchor we are to, mm-hmm. you know, our tracking dogs that we use. Yes. You know, because, and I think that a lot of police officers don't really conceptualize it very well. You know, they, they you know, and I, and we talk about it all the time. Um, one of the big things is, is the, the endurance of the dogs while staying in the odor. Um, how long can they stay on that track? How long can they stay, you know, on that hunt and, and, and not fall out. And the reason why I say that is, is that, you know, we're working police dogs, uh, patrol dogs in particular. And, you know, I run into a lot of officers who say, gosh, you know, my dog got burnt out after, you know, just 300 yards. Right. Mm. Um, and the, the thing is, is that if your dog got tired and burnt out after 300 yards, you probably weren't on anything, you know, because when the, when the dog is on odor and they're actively tracking and hunting and, and they're excited about it, they don't really get tired. I mean, they, they, they go a long, hard way for many miles and, and sometimes hours like we did on that, that last day of the hunt. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's probably one of the first things that, that you know I was thinking about, and then I think that it would be a big lesson to um, you know our handlers is that you know when the dogs are on odor they'll go for miles, and and you you can't stop them really unless of course they run into a brick wall or something like that. But, you know they they've got all the longevity and the endurance in the world, but they have to be be physically on something. Usually when you see a dog is actively tired and, and and you know it looks like he's done after just a couple hundred yards it usually means that he has no odor um the other thing that really kind of struck me quite a bit was um you know the air scent capabilities of our dogs i talked about the the bear and how he was able to 
you know, avoid all the ambushes that we had set up for them. Um, the dogs are pretty damn good at that too. And their ability to air scent things from a distance mm-hmm. is, is pretty amazing. You know, the, the turn of a track, you know, not just air scenting the bear itself, but they can <clears throat> detect the track sometimes from many yards away. Yes. Um, you know, they don't have to be physically on top of it to detect it. If the wind is right, they can sometimes detect the track itself from a hundred yards away or more. I mean, really. So, and we really, and you really get to see that when, when you're watching the, the bear dogs work freely uh, because you're seeing all their body language, um, you know, in the wild uh, without any inter- interference from humans and, and a leash. So those are the things that struck me the most really. And, and, and I use those quite a bit when I'm, I'm teaching my, my police dog handlers about the capabilities of the dogs and how they can detect things far more than, than sometimes what they, you know, they think they can do. Yeah. We, I still, I, I mean, I've said this and I mean, I said it before I ever said in your first class that we are not maximizing the capabilities of our dogs. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and yeah. I, I'm a hundred percent, we, you know, you know, us being that boat anchor, um, it, it's really a dis, uh, it does the dog a disservice. Um, mm-hmm. and the better we get at it, the better, the better our dog's going to be on, on the police side of it. Um, and I think that's yeah. what, that's kind of what's helped me is being able to see my dogs work, um, free casting them and, you know, rigging them or free casting them or however I'm hunting them and seeing what the dogs do. And then when I flip it over to the police side, I'm like, no, man, that dog can do so much more. That dog can do so much more. Um, and you just have to let them. <clears throat> right. Yeah. Yeah. And not, not, not think that, you know, the, the problem with so many law enforcement guys is that the way they're trained and the way they're taught about tracking and fences is that you, you know, you have to tell the dog where the track is and keep them there, you know, which is something I, I, I really don't understand because we can't detect odors or we really know, um, but it's, it's how most guys operate. So, you know, you always see them trying to anchor the dogs to where they think that that track might be, um, where the dogs really know instinctively. And it's a, the better part of valor is to let them do their thing and we follow accordingly. Mm-hmm. But, you know, one of the things that we talked about, I think where we're up there is, is, you know, the cold nose dogs versus the hot, hot nose dogs. Mm-hmm. Remember, remember that conversation? And I do, you know, how you, I think you were saying something to the effect that we're, it seems like we're starting to get more of just those, hot nosed dogs because the quantity of bear that are there versus mm-hmm. when you first started. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, we, yeah. Go ahead. Know, when you started, the bear were kind of few and far between versus now popular. What, what would you say the population has quadrupled or even more than that? Well, I mean, it, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely threefold because, we caught as many bear in the three days that you were there as I caught in a whole year 20 years ago. Yeah. Like, it, that was just unheard of. If you caught a bear a week, and I, and I talk, we talked, this is our conversation, you know, if you caught a bear mm-hmm. a week, you had some really good dogs. They just weren't here. Yeah. Well, and I think that that lack of quantity and sometimes, in other words, the the amount of deer per acre or acreage or not deer, but bear, um, would, would determine the, you know, how the dog actually, the, the need for, uh, you know, either that fresher, that fresh track or that cold track, mm-hmm. you know, if the, you have plenty of bear there, you know, the dogs are looking for that hot odor more than, than really anything else, because that's what they're, that's what's always hitting them in the face. Mm-hmm. Whereas before, I think, you know, and now, of course, you would know this a little bit better. You probably had more cold nosed dogs than you do now. Yeah. I, yeah. And that was our conversation. We had some guys from the training group up that evening when we were having this conversation. Mm-hmm. And you mm-hmm. asked me if I thought it was a training issue or a genetic issue. Mm-hmm. And my answer was it's more of a training issue. My dogs don't have to, you know, they don't have, yeah, they, they know that they may pass this track up, but if they go another mile or two in there, 
they're going to find one that's a lot fresher and, you know, that they're going to be able to, to run and jump. And I've had a, I've had some meat, and I call them medium-nosed dogs. Um, in fact, my old female, uh, Jimmy, Jimmy was a medium-nosed dog. If she opened on a track, you could just about bet money that she was going to jump that bear. But the yeah. dogs that I had before her, like, they may trail all day and never jump a mm-hmm. bear. Mm-hmm. So, but still be an odor. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, yeah, I, I feel like it's train a lot of, I mean, I'm sure genetics do play a part in it, but I feel like it's more of a, a, a training and a necessity based, it was my opinion. Yeah, I agree too. I, I do. And um, I think that as long as you have the number of bear and the, and the you know, the hunting possibilities that you have, then you're going to have what you have. And the dogs are going to be very selective because it's just easier for them. They're not, they're no dummies. They're not going to waste energy. There, there's, you know, that, that, that's the thing about dogs is they never do anything the hard way. They're only going to do it the easy way. And, and if they, if they have, you know, one thing that's presented in front of them, that's going to provide the reward that they're looking for. They're going to take each and every time. Yeah, one of the one of the things I've taken from your playbook, and I and I when I'm teaching my tracking class, I still use your. This is this is you. Um, you said in one of your classes that I'd set through that when you talk about the evolution of the dog from being from being yeah. wild, the wolf or the coyote, and I always use the yeah. wolf because this is you. T- I mean, I'm telling your 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 theology here that uh-huh. if you if you have a field and it's got elk in it six hours ago, four hours ago, and two hours ago, and that wolf pack rolls up in that field, they can smell all of them. But they're going to take yeah. the one that's two hours old because they know that their chance of survival is mm-hmm. a high, the percentage is higher of them catching the two-hour-old track than the six-hour-old track. Exactly. And I think that and plays... You know, Go ahead. It does. And not only does not only is it an age factor, but it, it's beyond that. It is also a. I, I think that by odor alone, the dogs can determine infirmity. They can de- determine age. They can determine maturity. Um, and I'll, and I'll tell you how I experienced that and how I first had that that epiphany. Um, I was on a hog hunt up in the Sierra mountains in in California again. And I was sitting on a little ridgeline overlooking a valley that I was hoping the hogs were going to come through. And it was morning. The sun was just starting to come up and I'm looking down in this really beautiful valley, you know, beautiful grass open and, you know, a small herd of deer come in several doe and then a bunch of fawns, right? So five, six fawns, I think. And the doe positioned themselves in different places in the valley and, you know, they're eating their grass or whatever it is that they're, they're eating, but they're also paying attention to their surroundings really well. And they're not moving too much. They're just basically staying in uh, one location. Uh, whereas the fawns, on the other hand, they're bouncing around, they're playing, they're running all over the place. And then I watched them for about, I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes. And then suddenly, uh, I think the lead doe detected something and they decided to take off. Well, about 10 minutes later, two coyote came into that same valley right on the back trail of the deer as they came in. And what was remarkable is I watched what the coyotes were tracking. They never once went to where the doe were positioned. They were tracking the fawns. Hmm. They followed the fawn odor wherever the fawn were running. And so not only can the dogs you know, detect and determine age and the value of one track versus the other based on age. I think they also do it based on the success rate they think they're going to have with the individual animal based on age, infirmity, maturity, you know, whatever it might be. I think they can detect these things. I mean, I know it sounds crazy, but I think that they really do get an olfactory picture of the animal that they're detecting that goes beyond deer, rabbit, you know, age of trail, whatever. I think it's far more complex than sometimes we give it credit for. Yeah. 
and I, I had heard you say that before. And I mean, that that stuff we just don't think about. You know, we just don't. You know, we just take for granted and get you know just go on about our business. Well, you know, one of the things is that's funny <laughs> is that you know when our world is wrapped up in our eyesight. You know, we define everything by the way we see it. I think historically speaking, we as humans use scent far more historically than we do now, but eyesight primarily is what we, we use. And I don't know if you ever did it, but when I was a, a young kid in school, we did this thing in class where you stand up at the front of the class, you're told to turn around and um, look at a scene behind you, right? And then quickly turn away again and have to recount what it is that you saw. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't, did, you, did you ever do anything like that in school before? We had to do that in the police academy. <laughs> I was at oh, the police academy. Okay. Yeah. Well, and, and what it is, basically what you need to do is in a flash, be able to remember what you saw and detail it the best you possibly can. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Dogs do that with their nose with a single sniff. You know, so we look at a, a we look at a, a picture out in front of us. And we describe that scene based on what we see. The dogs do that with their nose. Their eyes aren't anywhere near as capable as And so, you know, when, I, when we were thinking about the dog's capabilities and how they pick out odor and how they use it, I think we need to start being a little bit more liberal in, you know, the possibilities in, in, in what they can do. Um, their detection capabilities are just off the charts. And let's just go back to that bear being able to detect our ambush spots every time we set it up. I mean, that was some amazing stuff. The dogs have these same types of capabilities as well. They really, truly do. This is cold, hard calculation on their part. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like I said, that's just, that's something I guess we, we don't never get into that deep or we don't think about, but it's interesting to, to know that the, mm-hmm. the dogs have the capability and we know they smell our emotions. They know, mm-hmm. you know, oh, yeah. they, they know everything about us. So, yes. So another conversation we have that has, has piqued my, like I, I want to go into it a little bit deeper is we got to talking about humidity uh-huh. and you asked me if I thought it helped or hurt, um, mm-hmm. Our tracking, our our dogs are tracking, and yeah. I feel like that it hurt. Well, it depends on the time of year, the time of day, but I I felt like humidity worked against us more than it did for us before our mm-hmm. conversation, and I have thought mm-hmm. about it a lot since we talked about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell me what what you were thinking and what what. Why why that come up and and what your thoughts are on the humidity part of it? Because in August, you know, August and early September, um, I quit running my dogs by ten o'clock because it gets so hot and the humidity's going up. Um, so, yes, let's talk about that. Well, from a from a humidity standpoint, I think humidity actually enables odor better. Mm-hmm. Um, it's conducive to odor mm-hmm. and it's, it's just simple biology, you know, scent as we, as the dog views it is based on organic molecules that are being broken down by bacteria growth. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, the types of bacteria that are doing this, um, are common throughout our world. Okay. And the requirements for this bacteria growth are moisture and oxygen, and then also temperature. They're all dependent on these three big issues. Now, of course, there are many other factors as well, but the three primary are going to be oxygen, temperature, and humidity. You know, good moisture, lots of oxygen, and and a moderate temperature is conducive to good bacteria growth. As the temperature rises, that bacteria growth also rises, okay? And what that means is you have a a breakdown of biological matter that is very efficient and happening very, very quickly. And what that does is that produces a rapid off-gassing of of odor or scent. 
for the dogs to actually take. So in my view, you know, and the way I feel about it, and, and just getting away from the science, just through observation, I've always found that when we have relatively high temperatures and high humidity, um, that the, the dogs actually can pick up better tracks and it's easier for them, really, truly. Um, where we have problems, however, is the longevity of the dog from an endurance factor, mm-hmm. because what, you know, the, the humidity does is, is it creates a situation where the dogs don't transfer heat quite as well. And it's not as efficient. So they overheat a lot faster. Um, so sometimes our, our thought processes, well, maybe the scent's not quite as good is really because the dogs are burning out a little bit quicker because of the humidity level. Yeah. And like I said, when you asked me that, I was thinking, okay, I know that odor is going to cling to moisture. I get that. I know that. Um, and how that moisture affects us. And I also understand and understood that, yes, when the dogs can't perspire, which is through panting, when the humidity's up, they gas 10 yeah. times faster. So yeah. after you had, we had that conversation, I got to thinking, I'm like, well, maybe it's more so that the dogs cannot withstand the endurance to follow through because mm-hmm. the humidity is affecting them worse than it is mm-hmm. the scent. That's exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, and so basically what you have to do, and we actually have a process for this with the military dogs, you have to build their scenting olfactory endurance capability through exercise mm-hmm. in, in hot human conditions. Basically, what you have to do is get them to be able to operate on a track with a higher core body temperature than they do normally. And that, that just takes repetition and a tiered training methodology to get them to that point. Okay. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I, you know, I, I thought, I, I mean, I felt like I had a good grasp on it because, you know, I had sat through your classes and talked to you. And and then when you said that, I'm like, well, wait a second. I'm missing the second part of this, which is I know that it's gassing the dog. And that's why I'm I'm pulling my dogs in early, early training season at 10 o'clock because I don't want them to have a heat stroke. Yeah. You know, it's not. Yeah, the, the scent picture. The scent picture is good. It's actually better. The, the problem is, is it's just the dog's endurance level. Mm-hmm. You know, and I guess for you guys in the training season, it's not that big of a deal because once you hit the the actual hunting season, your humidity's gone and your temperature should drop back down, right? For the most part, yes. Mm-hmm. Now we had a couple days towards the end of season. Uh, well, it was the weekend. It was the week after Christmas. The cold front uh-huh. come through, and it was back up in the the, the high 50s and 60s a couple of days. Like, really? And I'm telling, like, I walked um, I walked about 10, 11 miles one day, and, I mean, I could see the difference in my dogs almost mm-hmm. immediately. I mean, it was, um, by the time I got about a mile in, two mile and a half in, like, my dogs were not as um, spunky. They weren't as, they weren't hunting as wide. Like I could see a change in them and it wasn't because they weren't rested. I had given them, I had given them three days off. Um, you know, everything, everything else was normal, but that temperature, that drastic temperature change, I felt like played a huge part in their behavior. Uh, it definitely affects our endurance. You know, it really, really, truly <laughs> does. And if you're going to, if you're going to work in those warmer conditions, it's really important that you build your dog's, you know, capacity for that before you actually get into your hunting season. For us, you know, um, we have to build the dog's ability to work here in our swamp environment in the middle of the summer before we actually throw them into it because you can quickly get heat stroke in a 300-meter track if you're not really careful. Mm-hmm. And. The second day that I hunted in that the high temperature, um, my dogs ended up catching a bear and run it for about three hours total uh, the time I got to them. And once once it was over, like all of my dogs laid down, like they were done, like they just they just and they don't and, and they didn't do that at all when it was cold, did they? No, <laughs> not 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 one time. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just kind of painting my picture back and going back through my head, 
Um, yeah, that, that temperature change uh, made a huge have difference. Ever, have you ever taken their core body temperature after a hunt before? No, and I have. I mean, I have mm-hmm. a thermometer um, mm-hmm. in my medical kit, and I that's something I, I may do that this training season just a couple times to see what they're running at. And it wouldn't hurt. And, and, and compare that to the condition, you know, what's your humidity level, what's your temperature level, you know, and then compare that to the, the core body temperature. And I think you're going to be pretty surprised by what you see. Yeah. And one of the things that will play a factor in that is during the hotter months, um, I give my dogs glycerol to, mm-hmm. to keep that temperature down just a, just a, a, a notch or two. Mm-hmm. Um, so that may, maybe I do an experiment. I, I don't give it to a dog and give it to a dog and see if there's a huge difference in that. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'd be interested in hearing about that. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I, I do a, I do the, I, I bake my water and give them glycerol in the August and September. Well, pretty much all of September, even though it starts cooling down towards the end. But, um, yeah. that's something I do do for sure. Is that common in the, in the industry? Um, using glycerol. Yeah, for the you know the different bear dogs and. Um, I I don't know. Um, one of our sponsors, Dogs Are Treed. Um, Kevin and uh-huh. Kevin and Nancy, they carry it. Like you can buy, you can get a. I think it's an eight ounce, ten ounce bottle. Um, from them, it's already ready to go. You just gotta pour it in your water. Um, so I don't know how much they're selling of it, but I have recommended it on the podcast before. And mm-hmm. I use it. I do think it makes a difference, but at the same time, I'm pull. Like I said, when it's hot, I'm I'm pulling my dogs by by nine ten o'clock. Ten o'clock is usually late for me. Um, and it's kind of like you know when we were down training with you in, in the heat. You know, we got out five o'clock in the morning, and you know lunchtime was about it. <clears throat> yeah, we're done at lunch. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. So I kind I've kind of taken that from you too. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, like I said, I don't want to kill my dogs. Catching, catching a bear in the heat's not, it's not the, the main priority. <laughs> like I'm more about conditioning, getting the dogs in shape. Um, you know, if they catch a bear, great, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to build that, that strength and endurance up is what I'm kind of doing in that oh, early month. Absolutely. You know, and, and one of the things I, I don't think a lot of people know that, you know, dogs can have heat injuries and you don't even really know they have it. You know, they have, you know, just like humans, they, they can get heat exhaustion, mm-hmm. not full-blown heat stroke. They can get heat exhaustion. You don't really catch it, but what you've actually done by getting to that point is reduce their tolerance for heat in the future. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, it's really important to, to pay attention to that and, and to, to train your dogs up in the conditions that you're going to be working in. I'm really kind of interested in this glycerol thing. you got to send me a link for that because... That might be something that we could use here on our end as well. Yes. Yeah. I'll um yeah, I'll do that. Uh I'll definitely send that to you. So <clears throat> Jeff, before we wrap this up, I mean, I know you're running a eight week school now and you got how many guys you got down in your class? Well, I've actually got two students in this one, but mm-hmm. it's it's eight weeks continuous classes. So mm-hmm. um I'm gonna I, I probably it's actually longer than that. I'm not gonna be because I've got uh See, I've got uh, two weeks with Montgomery County, and then I have Charleston. Right after that, I have Charleston County, and then Butte County, California. They're coming out to get a dog from us, and they'll be here for two weeks at the same time. And then I have the Marine Corps here for a week after that, Marsoc. Mm. Uh, and then I go to Sierra Vista, Arizona to teach a class there. And then as soon as that's done, Hayward, California, and then I come back and I have to go to Argentina to teach down there. And then I come back from Argentina, and I'll be in Switzerland, Austria, Spain, and the UK. So you are booked I'm, up. I'm actually I'm booked up until May. May. Well, you're going to have to leave a week in December unbooked. Oh, it's already unbooked. We're ready. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So before we wrap this up, is there anything else that you you know you think that we, you can add, or just thoughts um, on you know the hounds and what you saw and anything like that. Oh God. I just, I just loved it so much. I can't, 
I, I think, well, I hate to say it, you know, it just seems like we're, we're kind of at the end of, of uh, mm-hmm. uh, an amazing time of, of human and dog history. You know, I, I hate to say it, but I think that we're seeing a decline in, in what we're doing with the, the dogs. Um, the bear hunting is, you know, not only is it not as popular as it used to be, but it, it's not tolerated in so many places. And, and I think that we have to think about protecting the legacy that, that's there. And, and I don't think that anybody can be complacent nowadays. I mean, if you're, you're a bear hunter um, and you're into pack dogs, and it doesn't matter what you do, bear hunting, rabbit hunting, coon hunting, I don't care. You cannot be politically complacent. Mm-hmm. You have to understand that your, your, your livelihood and your passion is under attack from almost every single point. Um, and if you want a future for your children or, or their children, you have to be active now. You have to understand that there are organizations and powers that are trying to shut all this down. And you only have to look in the other states where it's already happened to know that that's, that's what's occurring. Uh, so, I mean, if I, I know it's, it's I, we should be talking about scent and, and, and the actual dogs and work themselves. But, you know, right now, I think the biggest thing that you have to be concerned about is your politics. Yeah, um, they they've been posting some stuff about some bills. It's deer hunting related, related. Um, but yes, we've got to keep an eye on that. And we've always said that you've got you've got to get involved and you've got to shine your sport, whatever it is, um, in a good light and be a representative of that of that sport and passion that you have. You and I had talked. Well, you and I talked about that because. Yeah, so I had the girls with me, and you and I were talking that, you know, we're probably. I said, you know, my girls probably not going to see this through because of the attacks on hunting and um, everybody. They're trying to kill us, you know, a death by a thousand cuts, and that's what I said. Is they're trying to cut this out and cut that out and cut this out where you can't do it without banning, actually banning the sport. Um, so yeah, everybody should get involved. Um, with yeah. with whatever it is they're they're passionate about. Exactly, and, and and if you're a hunter, you're a fisherman, you know you if you want a future for yourself and your children, your grandchildren, you have to take a stand and you have to be a representative of what it is that you do. Mm-hmm. Um, it, we're getting attacked at every single corner, and the you know we're we're seeing a shutdown across the board on so many different things. And, we live in a beautiful country with so many places and so many opportunities. I'd hate to see, you know, our children or our grandchildren lose those possibilities in the future. Mm-hmm. Well, Jim, I don't know if our paths will cross this year. I don't know what um, conferences I'll be going to or I'll be allowed to go to because we are so shorthanded. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. bad. But like I said, December, <clears throat> it's on your calendar, it's on my calendar. I will do my best to have the dogs ready and in shape, and we will get we'll get the girls up and we'll we'll have a good time if we don't do anything else. All right, brother. Well, I'm looking forward to it. They are too. We'll stay in touch. All right, Jeff. Thank you again for helping us teach, train, and learn. Yeah, man. Take care. Talk to you later. Mm-hmm.